Our scripture reading is from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Please be seated. If you are visiting with us, let us say how happy we are to have you. And hopefully you've gotten one of those visitor's packets. And hopefully you filled out one of those attendance cards. If you have, pass those to the aisles at this time. And we will pick those up so that we can have a record of your attendance. Also, hang around with us for a little while after so we can get to know you a little bit better. And we can have an opportunity to speak to you because we want to know you and we want you to... Uh, whenever you're in town with us, to, to be with us. We're so grateful that you are here. We've entitled this lesson today, Exactly What Are You Teaching? And we're going to look at that with the idea of eternity hanging in the balance. What is it that, that you would be teaching? What is it that you would be uh, conversing with other people as eternity hangs in the balance? It is the fact that you and I as people are not simply drawn together because we have a soul given to us by God. That is one of the reasons. It is God who breathed into us the breath of life, and we as a race became a living soul there in, in Genesis chapter number 2. That is one of the reasons, but that's not the primary reason. When you and I look in Revelation chapter 12 and verse number 9, we see that, the, that Satan himself would tempt the whole world. And in 1 John chapter 5 and verse number 19, we see the result of that, that the whole world lies in wickedness. We also see in 1 John chapter number 2 that Jesus the Christ is the sin sacrifice for the whole world. That may be another thing that we have in common. That is, all of the world has been tempted by, G, or by Satan himself. That all of us lie in wickedness and that all of us need a Savior. And so with those things in mind, what is it that you're teaching? Because it is the duty of Christians, primary duty of Christians, to be teachers. Yeah, but, but what about those things that you and I look at and we ask those questions? What about those things... Go to a secondary duty. It is our duty as primary to teach God's Word. As we looked at 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2 just a moment ago, what we noticed there is exactly how the uh, gospel has traveled from one person to the next since the conception of the gospel. The primary means of the gospel being shared one to another has been a kitchen table where a person would sit across from another person, they would look at God's Word, they would study those things. As a matter of fact, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2 would tell us both geographically and historically how those things would move. That I would find someone who would be faithful to the gospel, that I would teach them, and then they would turn around and find someone who is faithful to the gospel, and they would teach that next person. And then it would go geographically all over the world, it would go historically all across time. That's how the gospel moves. That's how it has always moved, and that's how God expects it still to move today. 
When we look at Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, we see how it began in Israel. We see that it began in Jerusalem, and then to Judea, then to Samaria, then to the uttermost parts of the world. We look at Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, we see what they taught. They were steadfast in the apostles' doctrine. We see in Titus chapter 2 that the younger are to teach the older, or rather, let's turn that around, the older are to teach the younger. Is that men or women? Yes, they're both in there. The older women teach the younger women how to do women things. The older men teach the younger men how to do men things. We find ourselves in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 where Paul would say about himself, it would only be a shame, a travesty of justice, verse number 27, if, if I were to able to preach and teach the gospel to so many people only to find myself, notice this phrase, a castaway in the King James Version, and I don't think that phrase really broadens that word enough. Really, the idea there is useless refuse. If I have the opportunity to teach so many and to convert so many to Christ and have so many find the meaning to life and understand the meaning of eternity, and I myself have just become a piece of trash to be thrown away, then I've lost everything. And so as you and I look at how we teach, sometimes here's what we hear. I'd like my students to explore the book and then find it out for himself. Or, I only teach Jesus. Or, I don't really worry about the church I just want to make sure they're baptized first and we'll deal with that secondly. I want to make sure I say this as kindly as I possibly can. Are you ready? You can't do those things and teach them the gospel. It's impossible. The idea there is incorrect. I can't teach them part of what God would have them know and then expect them to be able to follow what God would have them follow. It just doesn't work that way. I have to be able to follow the pattern of God and teach them the pattern of God so that they can be saved by the blood of Jesus the Christ and the plan of God. It just happens that way. I am simply a medium for God's word to go from one place to another. Notice this. So many want to preach about Christ, Jesus, and that's it. We like to preach about Christ, Jesus only. There is, there's a problem there. When you preach simply about Christ, Jesus, here's what you preach. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, you find it right in there. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, and as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child of the Holy Ghost. And hooray, here we go, we're off and running in Matthew. And we find about his baptism that happens, and then, then him being taken, chapter 4, into the wilderness to be tempted. We read about miracles, we read about parables, we read about his arrest, his trial, his death, his resurrection. Read about all of those things. You say, preacher, that's exactly what they need to know. Yes and no. If we simply preach those things, we've left out John chapter 1 that would give all of those things the bite that it has. 
Now the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Who is this Word? John chapter 1 and verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as of the only begotten, full of grace and truth. Once we leave out the, the portion before His birth, we leave out exactly who He is. We can't preach about Jesus the Christ only as being a man and and doing these great things. We have to preach about Jesus the Christ being the man God. The only one who can stand in the place where he is. The one who has the authority. I don't like that word. Here's why. I don't think he ought to be able to tell, tell me what to do. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, where he said, the last thing he would say to those disciples, all authority, did you catch that word? All authority to the exclusion of none, all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. All authority. If I'm going to preach Jesus the man, I'm going to preach Jesus the man, God, who has the authority to tell me what to do. Well, I don't want him to do that. Well, you don't have to believe it. You don't have to live by it. But you better understand John chapter 12 and verse 48 is in there. You're going to be judged by it. Jesus would say the words that I speak, those are the ones that are going to judge him in that last day. You don't have to do it. You just have to realize that you're going to be judged by it. Be John chapter 12 and verse number 42 and 43 where we see the precursor to Jesus saying, the things I say are going to be the judge. Notice what happens in 42 and 43. In 42 and 43, you're going to read about these guys who were working in the temple. The chief priest, the scribes there, they hear. They understand. 42, they believe. Now, notice verse 43, but. But because of the fear that they had for the Pharisees, because of the fear they had of losing their job, because of the fear that they had that was not God-based, they decided to do nothing with knowing who Jesus, the man God, is. Now, there's an interesting phrase in, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 and 6. I'd like for you to go there and check this out. When we look at Jesus Christ, the man God, there is a point at which Jesus becomes a person, right? There's a point at which he is born, he is, is born into a body and, and has a body like you and I do. The soul that was placed in that body was from everlasting unto everlasting, unlike ours. Ours has a beginning, although it doesn't have an end. His didn't have a beginning or an end. He's not a created being. I think, now, this is going to be what we call, if you're in college, this is going to be what we call level 400 class, but you can take this and chew on it through the week. I think... In 1 Timothy chapter 2, especially verse number 5, I think we see where Jesus the Christ has his lot cast with man now throughout eternity. Who is the one that stands in between God and man? 
the man, Christ Jesus. Why didn't he say, as he returned back to heaven some 35 years ago from 1 Timothy, why didn't he say the God, Christ Jesus? Why did he call him the man? He is the bridge. He will consistently be the bridge to God for man throughout eternity. Now, how does that work? You ready? Write this down. I don't know. I don't know. Can you imagine the sacrifice that he gave up in order to, to be that bridge? In order to have man simply be able to look at God face to face? He gives up heaven to come here to put on a body. Notice this. In order to be tempted... And if he's tempted, brethren, he could have done it. And if that's the case, then he never makes it back. He gives up a lot. He gives up so much in order to be the man God. Not just some other guy. This is Jesus the Christ. When we teach him to others, we need to teach about who he is from the beginning, even before the beginning, so that they understand we're not talking about just some other guy from Bethlehem. He's not just some other guy. He's not just some other Jesus. He's not just some other Jesus that lived in the first century. This is the Christ. The King. That's the name, King. Christ, King, Lord of Lords. This is the One. This is the one that they've been looking for for thousands of years. Here he is, right here. Notice this. Many times we have those who would teach about Jesus the Christ and never teach about his plan. There was an old movement back before I was born. And the movement would say, give me the man and not the plan. Well, that's an impossibility. It just can't happen. Look at John chapter 14 and verse number 6. Probably the easiest place we can find to see that uh, you can't separate Jesus the Christ and the plan of Jesus the Christ for mankind. John chapter 14 and verse number 6. Then Jesus said, I am, you know this one just as well as the back of your hand, don't you? I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now notice this next phrase. And no man cometh unto the Father but by, what's that last word? Me. Wait a minute. No, no, no. We, we get to the Father by the plan, right? <laughs> Jesus said that whole plan funnels right through me. I don't know how you're going to get there unless you go through me. Look at Acts chapter 4 and verse number 12. Drew, I'm going to do something I don't normally do because I can't recall this one. Ha, ha, I got it. Acts chapter 4 and verse number 12, look at that one. Salvation is found in no other what? Plan, right? No, read it. Salvation's found in no other name. No other person, no other being, no other plan. You can't separate Jesus the Christ and the plan of God. It just doesn't work that way. Look in, first, uh, in the New Testament. You want to see the plan of God? Let me show you the plan of God as it clearly opens itself up in the New Testament. Let's, let's turn to these passages 
Matthew chapter 28. Now, these are going to be very well known to you, but I want you to look at these and I want you to understand these. You want to see the plan of God, it's found in the, in the books of the New Testament. Mark, or Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. There Jesus would say, all power is given to me in heaven and earth. Notice this, go ye therefore and make disciples. That should be the, the uh, verb there of uh, baptizing them in the name of, make disciples and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you all the way, even unto the end of the world. Now, we're going to stop and do just a little bit of language because I like that, and I'm up here. Matthew chapter 28, when he first says, go and make disciples, that's the principal verb of that whole subject right there. They're going to, he's going to give you two modal adjectives after that in the process by which he wants you to make those disciples. Baptizing and teaching. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and teaching them to observe whatsoever things I have uh, commanded you. The, 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 the mission of the church given through the apostles to us is that the, church, that the church go out and make disciples. How? By baptizing and teaching. You can't teach. You can't learn without hearing, right? Yeah. The entire book of Matthew is a book about hearing. Matthew chapter 13, he that hath ears to hear, let him. The entire book of Matthew, about hearing, you're exactly right. Look at the book of Mark. Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16, the latter portion, beginning in verse number 15 there. And he said unto them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not will be condemned the entire book of Mark is a book that would be proof that Jesus the Christ is who he said he was and did exactly what he said he would do. This is proof to a, a, a Greek nation. The entire point of the book of Mark is so that mankind will believe. And in Mark chapter 16 and verse 15, he says, For those who believe, baptize them into the church. The first book of the New Testament, hear what God has to say. The second book of the New Testament, believe it. How about Luke? Luke chapter number 24. I bet you'll never be able to guess what the entire book of Luke is about. As a matter of fact, generally when we run through the, the plan of salvation and we get to the idea of repentance, we probably use the same uh, verses, don't we? In Luke chapter 13, verse 3 or verse 5, I tell you nay, but except you. Are y'all with me? I tell you nay, but except you. Repent. Uh-huh. It's still there, isn't it? Look at Luke chapter 24, verse number uh, 46. Well, let me go back one. Here's what you'll read. Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and raise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among the nations beginning in Jerusalem. What's the book of Luke about? Repenting. Tell me where you find that parable that teaches about that younger son going off, spending all of his money, 
chapter 15 and verse 17, and when he came to himself. The book of Luke. What about John? The thesis statement in the book of John is found in chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. And here's what you'll read there. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. What is John teaching us? You confess Jesus the Christ. Confess him as the, the Son of God. Confess his name. Let's open the church doors in Acts chapter 2. Let's open the church doors as we've looked at here, believe, repent, confess. In the first four books of the Bible, or the, the New Testament, I'm sure if we look in the book of Acts, we probably find somewhere where somebody is baptized, right? Probably in every chapter. As Peter begins this sermon, he gets cut off. And in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus the Christ, for the remission of your sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. What happens in the book of Acts? What happens in Acts chapter 3? Or Acts chapter 4? Or 5? Or 6? Or 8? Or 9? There are baptisms, baptisms, baptisms. You can't read the book of Acts without getting wet. That's not people just jumping in the water just to jump in the water. These are people who are being baptized, Acts 2.38, for the remission of their sins in order to stand before God holy after they have confessed and repented, after they have believed, after they have heard. First five books of the New Testament teach us about God's plan of salvation, but you think it would stop there, don't you? Are we going? I'd like for us to go. I, I, don't, I, this is, I don't know, it has beaten me. I tell you what, y'all just catch up with me when you catch up with me. If you look from Romans to Revelation, the books of Romans to Revelation, what you'll find in every single one of those books is not hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. What you'll read in the rest of those books is you need to stay faithful to God in order to have the life God promised. What does that tell you? Is it important? That man understand what God's plan is? Is it important that we understand and obey, hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized? Absolutely it is. There is no other way to God other than his plan. It is also necessary for us to understand that only the faithful life to God will receive the reward. And look at this last one. God's not looking for people to be perfect, but he's looking for those who have been perfected. By his word. Listen, there, there's a guy who stands up here before you. And if you're trying to live like him, uh, pick somebody else. At best, at best, I do all right. But it is through the blood of Jesus the Christ that even this man can stand before God and have him say, well done. It's found from Romans to Revelation. And you can't find that just in looking at Jesus in his life. You have to look at the plan. You need Jesus 
You need the plan of God through Jesus the Christ. And you also need His church. Preacher, this is my favorite one. This, is my, this has been said to me, and this is my favorite one. There's no preaching in the New Testament where anyone preached about the one church. That's wrong, but we'll, we'll, we'll entertain that thought for just a moment. Do you know that for the first 606 years of the existence of the church, there was no need? How in the world would a man stand up before the year 606 A.D. and say, you need to make sure you're part of the one church. There wasn't but one. That was before the big split. There wasn't but one. You need to be a member of the church. Well, then that, that's a whole different thing. Notice this. Is the statement true that says no one ever preached about just the church? Nope. It's not. Let's start by looking in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 19. We're going to start right there and work our way toward that statement. Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 13, Jesus comes across the coast of Caesarea Philippi, and he begins to ask those disciples, what are people saying about me here in this town? And those disciples begin to announce that some are saying that you're uh, John the Baptist, some are saying you're Elijah, some are saying you're Jeremiah, to which Jesus says, what are you saying about me? And that's when Peter answers and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answers him and says, blessed art thou, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto you that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Stop for just a moment. Did you notice my church was singular and it is singular? Now look at verse number 19. And I will give unto you the keys of the kingdom of God. Oh my, he must be talking about two or three different things, isn't he? How do you explain this? Well, I can explain this several different ways. Let's go with this one. My friend Michael is a son to his mother and father. He's a grandson to his grandparents. He is a father to his children. He is a grandfather to his grandchildren. He is a husband to his wife. He is a preacher to this congregation. He is a minister to our community. Which one of those is wrong? None of them. Well, you named up four or five things that he is. Maybe more. Yeah. <laughs> I did, but... None of those things are wrong. All of those things describe who he is. When Matthew begins to speak of the, or when Ma, uh, Jesus rather begins to speak of the church, he uses just another qualifier when he tells Peter, "I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom." He's speaking about the church still. You see that in Matthew chapter four, verse twenty-three. You can see it in Colossians chapter one. But let's look at our Second Peter chapter one and verse number eleven together. Second Peter one and verse number eleven. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. There is an entrance into that kingdom, that kingdom for which Jesus would stand to Pilate and say, my kingdom is not of this world. That kingdom 
What's he speaking of there? What's Jesus speaking of? What was, Matt, what was he speaking of in Matthew 16? The church. Every time you and I read about that kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, is speaking of the church. Every time. There's not another case. It's found in 27 books from 1 to 27. Every time it's speaking of the kingdom of God, it's speaking of the church. You remember when Jesus taught them how to pray and he said, Thy kingdom come? Why did he say that? Because the church hadn't been established yet. Let's notice some more things here. Now, with those things in mind, understanding that the kingdom of God is the church, let's examine Acts chapter 8 and verse 12. All these people being baptized in Acts would stand to reason somebody somewhere is preaching in Acts, right? Mm-hmm. Look at Acts chapter number 8. You have Philip who's preaching to the city of Samaria. And here's what you'll read in verse 12. But when they believed Peter's, or Philip's preaching concerning the what? kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. If I understand correctly this particular verse, the only thing Philip ever taught them was Jesus has a name and he has some kind of kingdom. And somehow from that, they put together, I need to be baptized. What do you think preaching the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ means? How did they put baptism in there with it? Ask him in the, the Philip and the eunuch uh, later on when he starts from that same point and begins to preach unto him Jesus. And at one point, the, the, the eunuch says, see, here's water. What does hinder me to be baptized? When do you ever preach to him about baptism? Friends, when he preached to him about Jesus, he preached to him about the man, God, the plan God had, and the church God created with that blood. And you can't preach Jesus if you don't preach those things. You can't do it. You cannot preach Him. You can preach about Him. You can tell a really great story that people would hang on the edge of their seats for, but you can't preach Jesus without preaching those things. Acts 2, verse number 47, And they that were believing, they who were baptized, were being added to the church by Jesus the Christ. It's interesting to me when you put Acts chapter 2 and verse 47 together with uh, Revelation chapter 2 and 3. What I find out there is Jesus the Christ has the pencil that adds us to the role of the church. And in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, he also has the eraser. Which church were they being added to in Acts chapter 2? Which one? The only one. The one that, that bought with the sacrifice of Jesus the Christ. The church that belongs to Christ. The same one that you're added to today. Matter of fact, let me go ahead and make this clear. The same one that there is today. How many churches do you suppose there are in Hot Springs, Arkansas? This is a trick question. How many churches do you think there are? Oh, there may be. There's one. 
There's one. How many were there 25 years ago? One. How many 100 years ago, if, if that's the case? One. How many, have, how many churches have there been since Acts chapter 2? One. And that one church belongs to Jesus the Christ. And with my eternity in the balance, and the person, person's eternity in the balance whom I'm teaching, they need to be well aware of that. They need to understand that. It's Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 through 46, where you see that final great judgment scene given to us by Jesus the Christ that we often look and say, here are a group of people who did and a group of people who did not. I want you to look at that scene a little more deeply. You recall that the, that the questions are exactly the same to both groups and the response is exactly the same to both groups. Put you some food for thought out here. I think Matthew chapter 25, 31 through 46 is a judgment on the church. God doesn't require those other things from members or people outside of the church. You have groups in the church say, well, I did this because it was supposed to be done, or I didn't do that because I didn't see it. Church. Eternity is in the balance. Church, open your eyes. See what needs to be taught. The man God, Christ Jesus. The only source of salvation found on this earth. Church, Here's what needs to be taught. The plan of God from eternity that runs through the blood of Jesus the Christ that redeems all of mankind back to Him. Church, this is what needs to be taught. Are you ready? Genesis chapter 6. If you want to live, you get on that boat. Exodus chapter number 12 and 13. If you want to live, you get inside that house with the blood on the doorpost and the lintel. This is what needs to be taught. Uh, Joshua chapter 6. Church, if you want to live, you get inside that house that Rahab had that piece of string hanging out the window from. Do you notice everybody else in that city died? Except for everybody who was in that house. We need to teach those around us, and we need to make sure that we are fully aware of this fact. There is but one church that was bought by the blood of Jesus the Christ. I have the opportunity to be a, a, a member of that church and a faithful, active member of that church. And that's the one who will be able to look at God in his eye and have him say, well done. Look at what you're teaching, church. Or what you're not teaching. Or what you're not even attempting to teach.
and with eternity in the balance, answer these few questions. One, have you done it? Have you been obedient to God's plan? If the answer is no, you need to be. Oh, eternity is a long way off. It really is it. Last week it was Michael preaching about the blueprints of the church and the necessity of baptism and how salvation is offered from God. I have a gentleman I've become acquaintance with from a ball field activities. And from that sermon, he asked me, if I get in my, if I understand what you're saying, if I get in my truck and I drive away from here and have a wreck and die, I'm not covered. He understands. How long of a time do you have from now to eternity? Oh, I'm young. I've got <laughs> young people getting wrecks too. The time you have right now. The time you have is sitting right here before you. You are about to make a decision that will affect your eternity. Good or bad. So, make sure you have done the things that God said. Hear what he has to say and believe it. John 8, verse 24, unless you believe that I am, you'll die in your sins. Repent of your sin, Luke 13, 3 and 5, we mentioned earlier. Confess that Jesus is the Christ, Matthew 10, 32. I tell you, if you'll confess me before men, I will confess you before God. If you will not, I will not. Be baptized in water for the remission of your sins, Acts 2 and verse 38. From Romans to Revelation, live a faithful life. If you've put on Christ in baptism, have you been living a faithful life? Now, there are several of us who are shaking our heads, yes. If you are, that's a great thing, and continue doing that. Be that example. Now, let me, let me throw one caveat in here to make sure we understand faithfulness. Are you performing your primary duty? Remember slide number one? What's our primary duty? To teach the lost around us. Are you doing that? Sometimes we get so busy on other works that are great within the church that we forget about our primary duty. That's to teach those who are lost. If you haven't done that, or if you find yourself lacking and not as faithful as you want to be, as you put yourself up against the standard of the Bible. Let me remind you of that young fellow in that hog pen in Luke chapter 15 and verse number 17. There was a point in time where he had enough. And verse 17 would tell me that he came to himself. He realized where he was and where he could be. So he came back home. Let me encourage you today while we stand to sing this particular song that you come home. Do those things right now. <laughs>